0: And can last forever. Hello, and welcome back to Reason for Hope. This podcast is designed to give us hope and an understanding of God's love and mercy for every one of us. Many of the subjects and themes that we cover on these podcasts are sometimes challenging and hard to live out, such as what is the purpose of our bodies and how love is revealed through our bodies. These truths about sex and love are countercultural. And then how do we share these important truths with our family and friends? Wow, now that's tough, but important. We always have to be ready to answer about our faith with charity and gentleness. What we need to do is share that we are all a beloved child of God, and that we see each other as children of God. And everything follows from that. The more we are able to encounter that love of God, the more we are able to receive the Holy Spirit who teaches us the truth. God wants us to experience a profound life-giving love. Jesus always took this approach with sinners, and so should we. And today is packed with truth, lots of truth. Our guest today is Christopher West, and what a story he's got for you. Do you know what Eros and Agape are? Well, you're going to find out about that today. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, and give us a good rating. It helps us get the word out. Okay, so here we go. Cause hope forever.
1: Yeah.
2: Do you know? Do you know? How much she loves you so? Do you know? Do you know? How much she loves
1: you so?
0: Okay, here we are. Uh, We're back with uh, David Heideck, our theological uh, expert and uh, theologian here at Array of Hope. And I love our conversations. And today's conversation is that we're going to be talking about love, what it means. And in particular, we're going to be talking about two kinds of love, eros and agape. So... Many of us probably know what eros means, or we think we might know what it means, but not too many people know what agape means. So, let's dive into this, Dave, and kind of articulate and explain the differences between the two and what they mean here in our church.
3: Okay, great. So, eros, which we in our culture, I think, have hyper-sexualized, and uh, usually when people think of the erotic, they tend to think about the sexual, right? Right. There's certainly a relationship between eros and sexual love, uh, but eros is broader and um, bigger than just sexual love. Eros could be defined as the the desire for all that is good and true and beautiful— but the desire to possess that for oneself. So, many times this is considered to be an ascending love. It brings me out of myself and grabs all that is good and true and beautiful in the other. St. John Paul II defines it as the inner power that draws man toward all that is good, true, and beautiful. But it's still an egocentric kind of love. It's still self-directed because I'm looking at the good in the other, but I long to possess it as a good for me, you see. So it's directed towards me and my possession of that good, whatever it might be. Agape is instead focused on the good of the other for the other's sake. So instead of looking at the other as a good for me that I long to possess, I'm considering the good for the other for that other's own sake independent of any good for me. So sometimes that's called a descending love, a descending love. It's a, it's a, it's a selfless love, a self-giving love uh, versus what might be called a more selfish love of eros.
0: So Dave, you know, one of the main criticisms of Christianity, especially in sexual teaching, is that it seems that we're so uptight about sexual pleasure that it's bad or sex is bad or the body's dirty— we're kind of always squashing the potential of pleasure and happiness for people. You know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, is there room for Eros and Christianity and its understanding of sex and marriage?
3: Right. So, it would seem at first that the answer would be no to that, right? Because Christianity emphasizes self-sacrifice. It, em- it emphasizes the giving of oneself for the good of the other, a disinterested kind of love. It looks to, you know, Jesus on the cross as total self-giving as its, as its exemplar. But the thing is, eros and agape are more like two sides of love. Uh, in, in a— previous podcast when we talked about love as being, you know, to give oneself. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about how, um, you know, the, the really love is about the other and the other's good and me giving myself for that other person's good. As if my own interests don't factor in. But we all know in real life and in real relationships, we never merely love somebody just for their own sake right? I mean, uh, think about telling your wife that, you know, I love you for your own sake, dear, but you do nothing for me. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it Last about you know, five minutes. Exactly. You yeah. know, and you get rightfully get slapped across the face. <laughs> and, like, I, I think that there's, it's clear that we're attracted to stuff in other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Love and Responsibility, John Paul II actually talks about three movements of love. He talks about the love of attraction, which is I'm looking at the other person and things in them that I'm attracted to. I'm attracted to their sense of humor. I'm attracted to their, you know, how they look. I'm attracted to their intelligence. There are all kinds of things that I could be attracted to. Now, ultimately, I can't separate those things from the person, him or herself, um, because that would be, in a sense, not really being attracted to them, but only attracted to this or that thing. But nonetheless, um, clearly, there are traits and values in a person that I might find attractive. So that's the love of attraction. Then he talks about the love of desire, which this is more, I think, what we see with Eros, is that I long for the other person as a good for me. Somehow that other person is even beyond the different things I see in them that I'm attracted to. But I see them predominantly as, as some one that I want to have in my life because they represent such a good for me. And they represent that good for me because I perceive in them something that completes me, you know, some lack in me that they fill. Um, And and so really what we long for in the love of desire is our own completion and someone who complements us. This is clearly what sexual love and married love is about. Because you wouldn't say, you know, till death do us part, you wouldn't want to say, I I give my life to you, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, if you didn't see in that other person a good for you that you have to keep in your life forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to desire that person, to long to possess and be possessed by that person, or, or better said, maybe, to long to be united to that person who represents such a great good for you, and to experience delight in that union... That's the real substance of sexual desire as God created it. You know, so I, I think that that's an important part of love. However, if love ends there, it still winds up being effectively egoistic. It, it really never gets past the other person as a good for me. So love has to mature where that impulse to say, I long for you as a good for me, matures into I long for your good. And until it does that, it's not really fully authentic love. So, Eros isn't enough. Eros needs to be complemented, dare I say, purified or matured by agape love, that love where I give myself for you, I long for your good for your sake, not only long for you as a good for me. It it almost seems like it's an evolution, right? For
0: for you to be completely authentically in love, it has to be sacrificial. It's like, I I want the very best for you. And sometimes people get confused about being in love and they're in the second part of that and and don't realize that there's a, a much further area to go in and deepen that love.
3: And that's what John Paul, that last love, that agape love, is what John Paul II refers to in Love and Responsibility, his pre papal work as uh, the love of benevolence, benevolent Mm. love, to will the good. Yes. You know, like, so that whole idea of willing the good is uh, a very key element, and without it, you don't really have love. But that doesn't mean that those other things aren't a part of love or aren't movements of love. And here's an interesting little thing, you know, Pope Benedict XVI in his encyclical Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, has a whole section where he talks about eros and agape. John Paul II does in the Theology of the Body too. But in that encyclical letter, uh, Pope Benedict says this, God's love is totally eros and totally agape. How about that? So God longs for us and a relationship with us, but he also longs for our good and empties himself for that good. So in, in that sense, God's love for us is both ascending and descending. It it, 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 There's a desire in God for us. God wants us, and God is willing to empty himself completely to die for love of us and our good.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's almost like... Uh... It's like a three-legged stool. Every part of it needs one another to really to to complete itself. Yeah. Right? It's the full the full growth. And desire is good. Sometimes people think desire is bad,
3: right? And I think that in this element that you're bringing up, we see how it fits into Christian life and Christian marriage. It, desiring your spouse is a good thing. If you should desire your spouse as a good for you. Even desire them sexually, to want them and to be wanted by them. I don't think there's any, any uh, married couple that, that doesn't want one another to want the other one. In fact, it becomes a great concern when you start to get older and you start feeling less all that, that does the person still want me? Right. There's, there's something very real about that. Mm-hmm. And we all long to be desired. We all long to be longed for. When I'm away from my wife all day, uh, I'm hoping that she's really anticipating when I'm going to get home and and that she's looking forward to that. That she longs for me to be near her as I miss her terribly when I'm away from her. And that's all good. If that weren't there, my gosh, it would be like almost like a business transaction. And that would be profoundly sad. On the other hand, in those moments when you're not feeling it, in those moments of married life, perhaps when things are a little dry, when things are a little bit more businessy, you're getting the stuff of life done and, you know, you're not getting out on your dates and you're not having those conversations and there's that might be missing one another connections wise. That's when it's not because of the feeling that you do what you do. You do it because you care about the other person and you long for that person's good. You still give yourself for them whether all that magic is there or not, so mm-hmm. to speak.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is this is great. I mean, understanding this really helps us to better love, right? right. To better love our spouse. Um, and really understanding who God is and his intent for love and understanding the arc of complete love. Yes. You know, I think
3: it's awesome. Sometimes people, I think, feel guilty about, you know, the kind of love that means I long for that person as a good for me, as if they're automatically being selfish. That's a movement of love. If it were to stay there, and that's all the focus would be, that would be problematic. So maybe for some people this can help them too, because while love ultimately and fully is self-sacrificing, there is a part of love that is I desire the other person as a good for me. I want them in my life. I long for them for me. And, and that's Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the way God has designed us
0: that's right uh, well Dave thank you once again this is always great God bless you Mario you too my friend pick up the phone with my friend. So I think I'm going to make our surprise caller today, Father Wojciech, he is our one of our chaplains here at Array Ray of Hope, he is the pastor at Our Lady of Victories in Harrington Park, New Jersey, uh, and he is a really, really great man, a great priest. So let's see if I can get him, one ringy dingy, two ringy dingy, I don't know, nobody picks up the phone anymore ringy, dingy.
1: Hello, our lady of Victories. may I help you? Is this Father Vocek? Mario, what do you want, Mario? What do you need? <laughs> Father Vocek, wait a second. What the heck, yes. Hey,
0: how did you know it was me?
1: Because you see the caller ID. I mean, you oh, know, first man. of all, when you were you were gone, you were like gone. Then you when you're calling, you're calling sixty times. What's going on with you? Are you okay?
0: Let me make a let me clarify. Sixty six times. Sixty six <laughs> times. I'm gonna call you every five minutes. Listen, I want to surprise you. I have something I want to ask you. Um, you know that we record a live podcast, and I'm recording you right now. Can I can I ask you some questions regarding our faith? Will you be willing to participate? I mean,
1: but give me some easy ones. You know.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You are a priest, right? Yes. Okay. So you, you uh, every question you should know the answer to, right? Maybe. <laughs> I love your candor and your honesty. You know, you're you're a good man. You're a good priest. So you uh, uh, should
1: know, but not. It, it doesn't mean that we always know the answers, you know. So uh, this yeah. is my question. This is
0: our theme, Father. Our theme this week is eros and agape. You know the the origins of the uh, of the word love, the Greek word. Would you be able to share a little bit your thoughts about that and the differences between the two, if there are there is a difference in what the interpretation scripturally between the differences is?
1: Yeah, so I think the best way that was explained ever these these two words was by Deus Ex by Pope Benedict XVI. You know, he gave the two explanations very beautifully. That there is a that was a Greek word eros, which is more, it goes more to the passion, to the carnal love, and uh, but then there is the agape, which is the love beyond the carnal and and more in the in the sense of giving one's life for someone else. So love like Jesus on the cross. But then Pope Benedict the sixteenth gives a beautiful explanation that the love of of Christ on the cross had both because he was passionate about the people, about the souls, about their salvation. And at the same time, it was a love that gave his own life for the people. So they were two joined. It's a perfect uh, union with the two. Hmm. That would be my simplest explanation, yeah? Yeah,
0: no, that that's good. I love that. I love. He was passionate
1: about his passion, you know? So this is like a beautiful play on words also and on the meaning, yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that in the Greek language there's so many ways that you can express the word love. Uh, much more uh, detailed in expressing that word. I love that. Do you know that?
1: I know those two for sure, but I don't know. The, <laughs> uh, I mean, there is also Phileo, the one that uh, that also Peter... When there is the dialogue between Peter and Jesus at the very end of the of the Gospel of John, after the betrayal of Peter, there is also the, this: uh, uh, Jesus is asking Peter, "Do you do you phileo me? Do you do you love me as a as a brother?" Mm-hmm. Because Jesus didn't want to challenge and to put too high of a standard to Peter, since he just betrayed him. And Peter says, uh, "Peter says yes," but then finally comes this word of the. Of the of the Agapé, Peter says, "Lord, you know, you know everything. You know that I love you." Yeah, Peter realizes that he's not; it doesn't come from his effort, but it comes from the grace of God to love him. Mm-hmm.
0: That's beautiful. Well, listen, that's it. That wasn't too hard, right? Okay, that was, I mean, yeah, you gave me a
1: chance, I think. You were, you were easy on me, you know?
0: No, no. <laughs> you're a, you're a good man and a good priest, and and we pray for you all the time so, here at Array of Hope. And thank, you thank you so much. And thank greetings you.
1: to all the Array of Hope, and, and thank you for all the good that you do for for all of us, you know?
0: Oh, peace. You too, Father. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. You.
1: Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: So our featured guest today is someone I've admired and someone that I've seen in person many times, Christopher West. He is a proud husband, a father of five. His global lecturing, best-selling books, and multiple audio and video programs have also made him the world's most recognized teacher of St. John Paul's Theology of the Body. He is also the founder and president of the Theology of the Body Institute. His work has been featured in the New York Times— on ABC News, Fox News, MSNBC, and countless Catholic and Evangelical media outlets. I am super pumped to have Christopher here with us today. Okay, so here we have Christopher West with us today, and we're very excited to have you, Christopher. And I wanted to start a little bit with your background. You know, um, are you a cradle Catholic? Tell me a little bit about, you know, the young Christopher West.
2: Sure, Mario. I was... uh... Born in the late '60s in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, spent most of my childhood there. I was raised a Catholic, baptized a Catholic, uh, went to Catholic schools starting in seventh. Or sorry, starting in third grade. It was 1978, and that was the year Saint John Paul II became pope. Hmm. It was my my first year of Catholic schools. Uh, I remember um, the death of Pope Paul VI. I remember the election of Paul the, of of John Paul I. And we got all these these holy cards were passed out to all the kids in the Catholic schools of John Paul I, the smiling pope. And then I remember being utterly shocked, you know, 33 days later, he's dead. Wow. And then the yeah. election of John Paul II, I'll never forget this day because uh, we had this Polish nun who, who was like a teacher's age. She was retired. She usually sat in the back of the class, you know, correcting penmanship or whatever. She was quiet as a mouse. But this day she had been glued to the television down the hall and she throws open the classroom door screaming at the top of her lungs, he's Polish, he's Polish. <laughs> I was like, who's wow. Polish? Little did I know what an impact this Polish Pope would have on my yeah. life, but I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I was raised on what you might call and I've come to call the starvation diet gospel. Hmm. And by that, I mean, the deep ache of my heart, which I've always felt like a hunger for something, a passion for something, a yearning for something. The basic message I got was, well, those hungers are bad. They're only going to get you in trouble. You need to repress all that and follow all these rules and you'll be a good upstanding Christian citizen. Uh, Well, I tried that for a while, but the hunger becomes overwhelming. So in my teenage years, I became a pretty quick convert to what I call the fast food gospel, hmm. which is the secular culture's promise of immediate gratification for the hunger. And, Mario, if you think about it, if the only two choices in your mind are starve or eat the chicken nuggets, hmm. I'm going for the chicken nuggets because mm-hmm. I'm hungry. And and right. don't lie to me that the chicken nuggets taste really good going down. Yeah. Um, but – if that becomes your diet, you're going to get pretty sick. Right. And so fast forward to my college years and, and I'm, I'm internally, I am spiritually very sick from having indulged in all that grease and sodium, so to speak. <laughs> and I found myself in 1988 on a college, in a college dorm falling on my knees saying, God in heaven, if you exist, you better show me. And you better show me why you gave me all these hungers and desires because they're getting me and everybody I know into a hell of a lot of trouble. Hmm. What is your plan?
1: Hmm.
2: So I was learning that this hunger, which John Paul II called Eros, E-R-O-S. Now, in my mind at the time, in my early 20s, the erotic realm was synonymous with the pornographic realm. But John Paul II was saying, no, 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 no. That's the diabolic mockery of God's plan for Eros. I learned from John Paul II that pornography is a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. And Christ came into the world not to squash our erotic desires, but to redeem us, to redeem us body and soul, to redeem our erotic longings. Here's my image. I like to say God gave us erotic passion to be like the fuel of a rocket (laughs) <laughs> that has the power to launch us to the stars. Wow. But see, Mario, there's an enemy who doesn't want us to reach the stars. And his goal is to invert those rocket engines. Yeah. That's why so many of us, we go out into the world. And this is the story of my life. We go out into the world with inverted rocket engines. We're looking for love. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for fulfillment. But all of our efforts backfire on us. Hmm. And I learned from John Paul II that Christ comes into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines, but to redirect our rocket engine's to the stars. This is great
0: stuff that you're sharing with us. So it seemed like you had a little bit of a progression. You had an encounter, you, you fell in love with Christ, but then you needed to get to the next level and and you realized the brilliance of Catholicism. You wanted yes. to develop your intellect to affirm yes. what you were feeling. And it's a normal progression for someone that wants to have a, develop their spiritual walk. And then, this St. John Paul, the Pope, Theology of the Body, uh, his writings really inspired you to go even deeper. So this yes. is like a multifaceted question. I know that you started the Institute you know, um, for the Theology of the Body Institute. Maybe you can talk to us uh, about how that culminated, how you were inspired to do that and, and, sure. and, and was obedient to that calling because that's a pretty high – order to develop an institute of that magnitude with that kind of subject matter.
2: I'm, I'm just trying to say yes, right? I'm just <laughs> trying to say yes and walk through the doors that the Lord asked me to walk through. I'll, I'll tell you this, Mario, when I was 24, this was 1993, and I, I was reading the theology of the body for the first time, I really believed I had discovered something as big as the cure for cancer. mm <laughs> and if you discover the cure for cancer you can't sit on it and keep it to yourself you right. got to tell people right and you got to you got to become versed in it right mm-hmm. and so i knew then when i was 24 years old that somehow i didn't know what shape it would take but somehow i was going to spend the rest of my life studying this teaching and sharing it with the world and I I learned right around the same time that the Pope had started a school called the John Paul II Institute Mm -hmm. for studies on marriage and family. And I went there and I did my graduate work there. And uh, then I was hired in, I was hired in 1997 by the Archdiocese of Denver in Colorado to head up their marriage and family life office. And I worked in the Archdiocese of Denver from 97 to 2003 Four years, I was developing a new marriage prep program, bringing John Paul II's teaching to bear, and then another three years, I was teaching in the seminary out there, and at that time is when my work started to attract some uh, national and international attention because there were people before me who saw the importance of John Paul II's teaching for sure, and I was greatly inspired by them, but it hadn't really been brought to bear in, in marriage preparation. And developing this new marriage prep program uh, attracted some attention, and of course, I was working with Archbishop Chapu in Denver, and he started opening doors for me around the world. He, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what was a real game changer. This was 1998, and it was the 30th anniversary of Humanae Vitae, Pope Paul VI's encyclical mm-hmm. reaffirming the Church's teaching on contraception. Mm-hmm. And Archbishop Chaput gathered around him a little advisory committee to help him draft a a pastoral letter on the 30th anniversary of Humanae Vitae. And I was part of that little committee. And um, that letter that Archbishop Chaput drafted started opening doors around the world for him to speak into these issues. And because I was the marriage and family life guy under him, Uh, I served in that capacity as his advisor on those issues. He started bringing me with him to these events. Mm. And I was speaking at these same conferences where Shapu was speaking. And uh, that started opening doors for me. And eventually uh, I decided, my wife and I decided to move our young children back to Pennsylvania to the East Coast where I was from. She grew up in Maryland. I grew up in PA and we wanted to raise our family here. So we came back here and some colleagues and I here in the East Coast, started the Theology of the Body Institute in 2004.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. You mentioned before Eros, and today's theme is actually Eros and Agape. So maybe you can share with our listeners what the difference is between the two.
2: Yeah, I want to emphasize not so much the difference. I want to emphasize the harmony.
1: Hmm, I want to
2: emphasize the unity of these two loves, right? We, We often put these in opposition, and that is wrong. These two loves are not in opposition. John Paul II, Benedict XVI, Pope Francis, they're so clear. And this goes back to the fathers of the church. The fathers of the church looking to evangelize the world they were trying to reach, which was largely the Greeks at the time. They said, we're not afraid to use your language. Most people are used to thinking of agape as a synonym for divine love. But one of the great gifts of early Christianity was to say that eros, and eros is the Greek word for sexual love, romantic love, passionate love. One of the great insights of the church fathers was to say eros is meant to express agape. See, hmm. this is what St. Paul is saying when he says husbands Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. He's saying, let your passionate love for your bride be self-sacrificial love. This is what changed the world 2,000 years ago. This is what evangelized culture 2,000 years ago. And and this is what will re-evangelize the world today in the new evangelization. Here let me let me share a great insight from Father Renero Contalamesa. He is the papal preacher. Wow. He was the papal preacher for John Paul II, for Benedict and now for Francis. And he says that Christ came into the world to redeem us, of course. And he says that redemption begins with Eros, which is the most powerful force. And where do we see this? Where do we see redemption beginning with Eros, well, Mario, where was Jesus's first miracle?
0: Uh, the the wedding, the wedding, the of wedding, Cana, yeah. the wedding of Cana. What
2: happened <laughs> at thought, the wedding I, of I Cana? Thought, I
0: thought you would throw me a curve. I had to think. No, no curveball, no curveball.
2: This is just <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: yeah, out. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. The this wedding is Cana. our
2: faith. <laughs> what happened at the wedding of Cana? They run out of wine, right? Right. Well, see, that's a symbol. Wine is a symbol throughout the Bible of God's love. It's a symbol of agape love, right? Mm. In the beginning, before sin came into the world, Eros expressed agape. And how do we know this? John Paul tells us we know this because in the beginning they were naked and felt no shame. Mm. Nakedness without shame demonstrates that their erotic passion was not a self-seeking base lustful desire. It shows us that Eros expressed divine love. They saw with their eyes and they felt with their hearts this passionate desire to lay down their lives for one another. This is why they were naked without shame because there's no fear and there's no shame in divine love. But what happened with the original sin? We all ran out of wine. <laughs> in other words, Eros gets cut off from agape. If the very purpose, of, of the sexual relationship is to share God's love. Well, what happens if you run out of wine, if you run out of God's love? Those rocket engines get inverted and Eros becomes a selfish thing. Uh-huh. Well, now we can understand the first miracle of Jesus. What does he do? <laughs> he restores the wine in super abundance. He restores Agape to Eros, and he invites us to drink up. You know what we could say here, Mario? That's beautiful. The goal, That's great. The goal of the Christian life here, from this perspective, is to get totally schnookered. <laughs> to get, is <laughs> to get plastered on, on agape God's wine. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Drunk on agape. That's yeah. the call. <laughs> wow. That's why the saints talk about holy intoxication. On God's love, well, what did they accuse the apostles of on Pentecost day when the love of God fell on them? Right. They yeah. thought they were drunk,
0: that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful the way you made those connections. I never, you know, looked at uh, the, his first miracle in that light. It's beautiful
2: well, that, I get it all from j too, so well, I can't well, I can't take credit for it.
0: Thanks for joining us today. All the music you're hearing on this podcast has been created by Array of Hope. So subscribe to us on Spotify and all the other music platforms. Join us on social media where we can keep you engaged through music, videos, and daily reflections. This podcast has only been made possible by donors and supporters of Array of Hope. You can become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Our theme next time will be on The Wedding Banquet, and it's going to be Christopher West Part 2. If you loved our episode today, you got to come back and hear its conclusion. So thanks for joining us today, and there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.